Welcome back to American Psy Out, a podcast miniseries in nine parts. I'm Emily Bix, continuing my conversation with Wesley Clark Jr. and our attempt to figure out what happened to him. So where we left off, Wes, you have just come back from Standing Rock and you are still in the midst of a psychotic episode where you believe you are an angel named Metatron. You were under information attack and you went on the Young Turks where your claim of infiltrators at Standing Rock was edited out. Then you were told by a high-ranking general that if he hadn't intervened at Standing Rock, you were going to be killed in an attack at the camp. Yeah, that's it. So even if you weren't in a psychotic state, your claims of infiltrators and spies would already seem pretty outlandish to a lot of people. Yeah, of course they would. Did the fact that people didn't believe the infiltration stories make you even more susceptible? Absolutely, because you've directly experienced something that you're being told didn't happen. So you're casting about looking for who can actually see what really happened. Do you think there could have been a way to reach you while you were having that episode? Possibly, but unlikely. From what I understand from your experience, it got way more intense after Standing Rock. Yes. What else happened when you got back from Standing Rock? You know, immediately all the kind of cult people zoomed in on me, like James Martinez, the guy who'd originally got me involved in Standing Rock, Sean Stone, Paolo, Ryan White Wolf, and his Russian slash whatever girlfriend and the rest of them. Sean is the director, Oliver Stone's son, who had hosted a conspiracy show. And Sean's show was on a station called The Lip TV, which you also had a show on. This is a unique format because maybe aside from Alex Jones or uh, Kerry Cassidy, there's only a few people out there who are doing long format interviews with guests who are informed on a subject. So all these people had come over and we were sitting outside. He was like, wow, yay, you survived. Welcome home. You're like a shaman now. Like you're transformed, da, 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 da. And what are you going to do next? I want to interview you for my show. And I'm like, okay. Was this the first time you heard Sean Stone talk about the I am stuff you've been hearing from everyone else? Yeah. And Sean Stone's show is also hosted on Gaia, where he promotes a lot of the staples of the I am cult, including St. Germain and the Ascended Masters. The I am, you know, recognizing the I am. This is uh, where my own interests have led me in the last few years. Here's a clip of him interviewing a man who calls himself Peter Mount Shasta. I think your teachings are very much in line with helping people to find mm-hmm. their way. See, you're, you're giving St. Germain's message. That's, you're part of his family. But to be clear, when people from the I Am cult are talking about St. Germain, they're referring to the Count of St. Germain, a guy from the 1700s who said he could time travel and perform magic, and who the founder of the I Am cult said he ran into on Mount Shasta, not the Catholic saint. Everyone watching this video is, he's watching them. You know, he's aware. And he's multiple places simultaneously. His mind encompasses the earth, you know. And also as being, you know, immortal and never aging and being able to dematerialize and, you know, you couldn't quite capture him. I didn't I didn't even know if there was a Catholic St. Germain. I just assumed there was. But at the same time, when he was telling me about St. Germain, I'm like, okay, first of all, I'm Enoch. So who cares? But I remembered when they talked about like the second coming and everything like that, suddenly 
somebody mentioned something about gays and they were all like, and then the gays will die. And I was like, okay, everybody go home. And I kicked everybody out and I never had any over to the house again. What was their reason? Were you like, why do you feel that way? Yeah. And they were just convinced, though they're evil. And I was more like, no, goodbye. See ya. What got me through all this, as insane as I was, I'd read that Jesus tested the spirit. And so every time I got one of these intuitions, you know, and my heart would vibrate, I'd be like, is it asking me to hurt anybody? Is it harmless? Is it this? And I would test every thought that came into me so that I wouldn't take advantage of things and I wouldn't be a grifter and I wouldn't be like saying dumb shit like kill the gays. And then I think a couple of days later, Sean Stone interviewed me for his show. The first I understood that his show had moved to RT was when he did the interview of me. And RT is an international news outlet that is funded by the Russian government, which pushes pro-Russian propaganda. And it's essentially a propaganda network that operates in the United States that pays Americans to sell a certain storyline. And so I did this interview with him. So what's your intention now going forth based on what you've seen to help mobilize public consciousness? Not to make too much out of it, but, you know, I'm on a mission from God, okay? And that mission is to save mankind. And then he drove me up to Malibu to meet some veteran PTSD camp. It's a swerve. Yeah, no, big time. And on the whole ride up, he's talking about, there's this story, Franklin Boys Town, some kidnapping ring of young kids that he's telling me about that's real. And this is the time when the spirits are all coming together to fight all this evil. And he was trying to talk me into rewriting Splendor in the Grass for free on spec for him to direct it. And I was like, dude, that's just not going to happen. <laughs> then he mentions to me that I should have come by and called him earlier because I could have met Kanye West. And then he said Kanye West was going to run for president in 2020. And I was like, dude, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Like, I may think I'm the angel Metatron and the reincarnation of Enoch, but dude, that's a lot more plausible than Kanye West running for president. <laughs> <laughs> if you remember back to episode one, I mentioned that the producers of this show at first didn't believe Wes when they heard his story in the summer of 2017, a little over six months after Wes got back from Standing Rock. Well, one of the producers wanted to note that one of the main reasons he initially dismissed Wes's story was his seemingly preposterous claim that Kanye West was somehow connected to a bizarre right-wing network and seriously planning a run for president. And then so we get up to this camp in Malibu. And was it's, it a and nice camp? Yeah, no, it was nice. So when I think of Malibu. No, no, no. It was, it was like they had like hard shell buildings. It wasn't like just dudes in tents. There was like a hundred veterans there running through team building exercises from some guy named Eric that ran it, who I guess was on Sean's conspiracy show. And some old guy from Tennessee who ran some national group of churches that was sponsoring this thing. Why did Sean Stone say the vets were there? Well, he said it was to get him ready for the next life. They're all getting over PTSD. And then he had me meet the brother of the American sniper guy who had been murdered on a gun range. So I met his brother and then I took off. But I was thinking, what is this camp of vets with some dude from like a shadowy, wealthy Tennessee church doing in Malibu, building these teams 
run by some guy connected to Sean Stone, who apparently does stuff for RT. Like there just felt something off. And then the next day, like Sean introduced me via email to some Russian guy from RT. The guy's like, we would like you to work for RT. And I suddenly felt, whoa, they're trying to rope me into the Russians. I was like, didn't answer him. And I wrote, Sean, don't ever forward anything from any Russian to me ever again. And then I didn't speak to Sean again. Ever? Ever. What was his response when you were like, please never do this again? I think it was okay. And then I think he reached out to me several more times and I never responded to him. And I get offered by a woman who turns out as a producer for Oliver Stone. She's like, would you like to host an interview show where you interview the most successful people in America? Bill Gates, Elon Musk, talking about climate change. And I thought, this is totally bizarre that anyone would offer me this. Then Nora got in touch with me. Nora, who's one of the people who introduced me to a few of the folks around Standing Rock. And I asked her, you know, why did you, why did you put James Martinez in touch with me? And she said, well, James is really more Sean Stone's friend than my friend. Uh, but Sean Stone wanted him in touch with you for Standing Rock. Here's James Martinez introducing Sean Stone from the same 2013 speech from episode four for the People's Voice TV in which he introduced David Icke as his partner. Um, my other uh, guests that I brought here and I wanted to be here, I consider a huge ally and a good friend. It is the son of legendary filmmaker Oliver Stone. Sean Stone is sitting right there in the back. Um, I asked him to be here because uh, he's going to be participating uh, with the People's Voice. So this is December around This is Christmas? all December. Okay. And then also I got contacted by this guy named Jim Channon. Welcome to my home. <laughs> if you want to pass through these gates, you have to be part mystic and prepared for everything that will surprise you. Jim Channon is this special forces dude who became like a guru slash marketer. Why are you unlike my mental picture of a lieutenant colonel in the US military? Because you haven't seen many. <laughs> yeah, the only reason that, that you have a funny picture of us is because you've been watching too many movies made by people who don't know anything about it. Who created something called the First Earth Battalion, a group of psychic soldiers that the Pentagon tried to put together, I guess, with the CIA or whomever in the early 80s to like defend the planet. This was a government sanction? Yes, government sanctioned. So the Jeff Bridges character that he's playing in Men Who Stare at Goats is this guy, an actual guy named Jim Channon. I heard that the US government was training psychic soldiers. You will be a psychic weapon. Feel it, yes! You must create warrior monks who can pass through walls and see into the future. And they did things like remote viewing, where it, a dude sitting in like, you know, California could see through a hallway, like somewhere in Russia to find out the pin code for something or other. And also believed that they had psychic powers where you could stop an animal's heart, like by thinking about it, or that you could dematerialize and walk through walls since half of matter is just open space anyway. Over at military intelligence headquarters, Major General Albert Stubblebine, who has 16,000 soldiers under his command, is secretly trying to walk through his office wall. I just haven't figured out how 
my space fits through that space because I kept bumping my nose. Boom. <laughs> and the guy who ran it, Jim Channon, contacted me right after I got back from Standing Rock and he said, you're the guy we've been waiting for. You are the new commander of the 1st Earth Battalion. First of all, I didn't know what any of this stuff was. And I was also like, thank you, but no thank you. I cannot take any positions in any organizations. During this time period after you just got home, was your wife a little worried? Oh, totally. Totally. She brought me to a therapist for what I thought was couples counseling, but it was a PTSD therapist. And I said, listen, I'm not going to beat around the bush. This is like literally the end of time. Uh, I'm here to tell everybody that's what it is. And I'm just a witness. I hope they're going to stop it. It doesn't have to turn out bad, but that's who I am. And she told my wife afterwards, she's like, complete psychotic break. The other thing immediately when I got back after Standing Rock was they're trying to get me to be Mr. Antifa. So I first heard about Antifa when I was at Standing Rock in the casino. Somebody from Arizona is like, it's Antifa, homie. It's what we're all going to join. And I'm like, what? What is that? And how did they explain Antifa to you? That it was anti-fascist but that it'd be a whole big activist organization. Antifa is on the hard left. In fact, many would argue parts of them aren't even left. They're anarchists. Antifa protesters brutalized Trump supporters at random, throwing eggs at them, oh my God. beating them bloody, and attacking their cars. And after Standing Rock, I got recruited into all these other things that people wanted me to be a part of. Like, they wanted me to go up to Whitefish, Montana, and march against Richard Spencer and his neo-Nazis like within two weeks of leaving Standing Rock. Hail Trump! Hail our people! Hail victory! Whether it's nice to say that or not, we won. America, at the end of the day, belongs to white men. And I was like, I am penniless and broke, and I can't afford to go anywhere. There's supposedly a house of vets out in Flint, Michigan, water protectors who are going to, you know, save it. And interestingly, they were supported and propagandized by the exact same people's progressive whatever outlet that targeted me with the fake tent burning, saying how, you know, the wolves den is, you know, doing great things in Detroit. But they attempted to recruit me into like four or five different things. And I felt like it was all a setup, like it was all designed to get me arrested or killed or just used. The violence in Virginia last weekend was just the most recent and most tragic confrontation between a new breed of white supremacists and a militant resistance. We're seeing a period of unusual, intense polarization among the population and in the political arena. But there was like between trying to get me to do that, trying to get me to be part of Occupy Inauguration. Sanderson, the guy who'd originally said that I was about to be murdered at camp, called me up and he's like, no, come with us. And we're going to be going to Occupy Inauguration. He's like, and we'll all get to wear armbands to identify each other. And I was like, mm -hmm, no. And January 20th, Inauguration Day became D-Day for both sides. I, Donald John Trump, do solemnly swear. Just blocks away, some members of Antifa swung into action, 
torching a limousine and scuffling with police. The people who wanted me to go to the inauguration were the same guys from the talk. The Tactical Operations Center. Okay, so what is a tactical operations center? It's like your little mobile headquarters when you're in the army, like a little shack that these guys would run everything out of that had a full-time group of about five or six vets that were always in there running the radios, you know, sending out a patrol to see stuff like, you know, what's the front line of the protest looking like type of thing, making sure people have food and water and stuff like that. And who are the people you most associate with the talk? Sanderson, the guy who said, AIM is about to kill me, Evan Duke, and some guy named Squirrel, and Higgins. And Ed Higgins was the guy who Seven had told me he was an infiltrator. Hi, I'm here with Ed Higgins. He just came back from uh, Dapple, North Dakota. Are you gonna, are you gonna be at the, gonna be at the inauguration? I am gonna be at the uh, Occupy inauguration. I'll be speaking. I actually have veterans that are escorting me to the stage because I'm gonna say a lot of things that a lot of people may not want to hear. And, you know, when the inauguration happened and we watched the Black Block smash windows and do everything like that at Occupy Inauguration. Wait, and what's the Black That's the anarchists that show up at G7 summits and other events, and they smash like Starbucks and consumer goods stores. And all the photos on Facebook from the group that wanted me to go out there with them and wear an armband were all right there photographing everybody in the Black Block. And those were all their photos. And then exactly seven weeks after I'd first made the announcement that we were going to Standing Rock, my heart stopped vibrating. I stopped feeling like God was there all the time talking to me, pushing me around. It was just me alone. Was it a sudden or a gradual stop? Instant. Knew it when it happened. I'm like, that where's what happened? Where's God? Like where'd the Holy Spirit go? It's just me now. And a lot of the vets that I'd been close to when we went out there, Sully, Travis, all those guys went back out. But didn't the easement already... The easement already got denied, but it was obvious that Trump was going to get the pipeline moving again. Ah. And so everybody started to scramble out there. I didn't go out because the elders who asked me to come out before didn't ask me to come out. So I just watched from a distance. So I had borrowed $300 from Travis to pay... Crow Dog when I'd first gotten to Standing Rock and my accounts had all been frozen. So Travis had loaned me his $300. That's also the guy who had the tattoos that stretched across his dress all the way into a question mark. Right. He's the guy who also had the fake IED, the improvised explosive device that had supposedly been carrying it around without telling anybody for a week. And he, I knew he was unemployed. So when I went back to LA and I did some more work, I was like, dude, I got $300. Let me wire it to you. Let me whatever. No, no, I don't want it. Can't take it. I was like, that's really weird that he will not accept $300. And Travis and another guy, Matt, who was in the talk, both got arrested on their way out there. And their arrests were featured in like The Guardian and I think The Independent and a couple other international newspapers. The second time. The second time. In February. Because they arrested for, you know, veterans arrested with marijuana. And then I was like, holy shit, you know, they got arrested for pot in the Dakotas. You know, you could do like years out there. And while getting several years for a marijuana bust might sound impossible, 
In a public statement, Travis claimed he was looking at five years in a state penitentiary of South Dakota for medical marijuana. And I got someone who would represent him for free. And then he's like, nope, don't want representation. Don't need it. I'm going to take my chances, which I thought was crazy. Wait, was he arrested? Arrested, released, and then never served any time, never paid any penalty. And then he stayed in the casino the whole time. And then I watched the camp get broken up and that little wooden shed, that talk was lit on fire and burned. And then Ed Higgins got arrested. And Ed Higgins was the guy who Seven had told me the first night in Standing Rock, that guy's an infiltrator. And he was all tied in with that group that was in that wooden shack. Those are the same guys that went to Occupy Inauguration wearing armbands, taking photos of everybody in the black block. And then I thought, okay, that's, that's a group that I don't trust. And at the same time, I'm seeing Preet Bharara just got fired and replaced. And Preet Bharara was the attorney for the Southern District where Trump lived, ran his business and campaign, which meant if there was an investigation into Trump, it would have likely been conducted by Bharara. To many people, and it sounds like you're one of them, his firing was seen as an early sign that Trump was willing to use his office in corrupt and self-serving ways. And I'm approaching it from the point of view of the Russians slash mob have taken over the country and we're going to fall into a chasm of dictatorship and that the whole Enoch thing is meant to somehow stop that. And then around this time, I got a, I can't remember who told me I should speak to Josh Long and Cindy Gomez. Hey, is this Cindy? This is Wes. How are you doing? Um, freaked the fuck out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've been feeling like that for a really long time. Did they present themselves as a team? No. But they came into your world at the exact same time? Exact same time. Cindy was like some radio person in Minnesota. Hey, everybody. Thanks for being here. Thanks for checking in with us tonight. And we'd just like to note that all the clips you will hear of conversations with Cindy and Josh were recorded by Cindy and played on her radio show. And Josh was this guy who said he was out there as an activist. Yeah, we were on the ground and no one told us anything. And I was coming from a guy like Grizzly, who was one of the original Abishita. And he was a original OG member of Anonymous but not a part of it anymore and said anyone who said they were a part of it now is just like working for, you know, a state. Because I don't know who the fuck Josh is, but he has to know somebody. I trust him, Wesley. He's taking care of the information. I believe the stories about infiltration. You have made so many connections for me just in the last 24 hours. It was a breath of fresh air because it was one of the first conversations that I had with someone that didn't, that made sense, that didn't sound like they were trying to set, send me on all of these different uh, goose chases. I simply know I told you the truth and you're the only person that believes me. And he also, you know, showed me video of how their phone was stepped on and the battery drained out to like nothing almost instantly because we were all having bad communications problems out there. And so I believe what he said and, and said, we, could, we should get together sometime. I'm like, yeah, sure, man. Then I went up to Northern California to see the weed guy who I was thinking about getting into the pot business with. And I took Sadef with me. 
because she's like had nothing to do. And I thought she was cool. And like, okay, let's go. And and we remained fairly close to Sadef, despite all the weird shit that happened at Standing Rock. I mean, I still liked her company. I still liked shooting the shit with her. Wait, Sadef was the Turkish American woman you met the summer before you went to Standing Rock. She quickly started hanging out with you every day and then went to Standing Rock where she publicly denounced you for leaving after you had been kicked out of your group? Pretty much. Did she apologize for that? And how did you guys start talking again? I don't know if she apologized or not. I'm, I'm pretty sure I saw her just a week later. Was she apologetic? No, she was friendly. I mean, people get cranky when they're low on food and, and sleep. I don't, I don't hold grudges. It's, it's pointless. And we drive up Northern California and Josh is like, oh, I want to meet up with you while you're there. Then I get a message from Red Wolf Pope saying he's in San Francisco and wants to meet up. And then I get a message from this guy named Ricardo, who's like also in San Francisco and wants to meet up. So all these guys meet up at this tech dude's house for the first night when I went up before I went up to see my buddy. Everyone meets up and everyone's like different levels of nuts. Like the dude, Ricardo, he was a white guy who said he cured himself of AIDS, but that he was definitely not gay. And then he told me like the story of Elijah, except he told me the story as if it happened on Mount Shasta. And he was mentioning St. Germain as well. So we smoke some pot. Red Wolf leads us in a Chinupa ceremony, you know, because he's supposedly a pipe holder. And then Josh and his girlfriend, Ren, go out to dinner with me and Sadef. And he starts to tell me like somebody tried to break into their house over Standing Rock, just like in the last week. And that He'd been staying like this native family he'd been with. And this woman was named Kathleen Bennett. And they knew they were infiltrators. And somehow she'd been taken or abducted because she knew who the infiltrators were. It just sounded like I couldn't make any sense of it, heads or tails. And I remember talking to Sadef about it when we left the dinner. I'm like, do you think that's like bullshit where he's saying someone tried to break into their house last week? And yeah, yeah, total bullshit. Why would he lie about that? Well, exactly. As I tried to figure out who's an infiltrator, who wasn't, it's like what you think could be an infiltrator is a personality disorder. And who you think may be an asset or an agent is just somebody with a mental problem. But as the months went on, I kept digging and trying to find out who people were. As I followed all these groups of people, I found weird inconsistencies where their profiles had changed. They would you know, have alternate profiles, like everything started to feel sketchy. It's like there's this big monster moving around and I can hear it moving around. I can catch maybe little glimpses of it, but I don't know what it is. And also because I didn't have that vibration in my heart anymore, I'm like, well, it's, you know, God's not telling me anything specifically. So I guess I'm just supposed to wait in a holding pattern. And are you feeling better now? I felt like Enoch wasn't in control of me anymore, but that Enoch was still out there. Like there would be something else I would eventually have to do. And Enoch would, you know, take over again. So it's Memorial Day weekend. The Intercept runs an article about infiltrators at Standing Rock. And I'm like, holy fucking shit. I knew it the whole time. And everybody said I was crazy and everybody denied it. And Jenk censored everything out of it. And there it is right there. There were, there were infiltrators there. 
sent by mercenary companies. Leaked documents reveal counterterrorism tactics used at Standing Rock to defeat pipeline insurgencies. More than 100 documents from a Tiger Swan contractor, the tactics used by this private security firm, which include aerial surveillance, infiltration of pipeline opponent groups. Once that happens, I am obsessed with it from that point as to who was an infiltrator and who wasn't. And then, you know, after that Intercept article came out saying that they had used infiltrators, and then I started to doubt every single person I'd been out there with, it came back. But it wasn't the same. So the first time I went through this during those seven weeks, you know, before and after Standing Rock, I felt joy day and night, no matter what happened. I was like, oh, credit cards rejected. Awesome. Police are coming to get me. Awesome. My life threatened. What could be better? All I cared about was that I was supposed to somehow go out there. But the second time it was like, I've got to do whatever the hell God's asking of me, or he'll just straight up kill me and find someone else to do it. June 2017 was a really stressful month. I'd been massively triggered by the Intercept article. So of course, Josh Long and Cindy Gomez reached me almost immediately. I see in the Intercept documents that the mouthpiece for Morton County that was one of the people that they were putting their propaganda out on. And what would happen really every day for the next couple months would be Josh would call me in the morning. Be like, wait until you discover what we found. She posted those videos saying for our safety. I was like, what the fuck does that mean? In her own comments. So it's still up there on her page too. I was like, what the hell is she? She posted one video for everyone's safety. And then you get like photos. Like, so he'd send me photos that Ed Higgins had uploaded to Facebook where he forgot to take the geotags off. And it would show him and Duke at the Mandan oil refinery. Now, for me personally, do I know if it was real or not? If he'd somehow put those geotags in, I have no idea. Or a picture of some woman next to Ed Higgins turns around and she's wearing a Blackwater Aviation t-shirt. And so your brain goes, boom, Blackwater right there, mercenaries right there. Now, is that reality? I have no idea. Ed Higgins, yeah. They give, were giving out those t-shirts at Aviator, um, like, like air shows and stuff. They were giving them out. It'd be like, Cindy would message me like, Josh found out some stuff. And then, boom, I'd talk to him on Signal for like an hour. And then once he got me worked up, boom, then he'd send me back to Cindy, who would then record everything that he told me and got me jacked up on. What about that guy who goes by the name Tawasi? Tawasi? Tawasi, because this woman goes by Tawani. Mm-hmm. And then, because back then, if two people on Signal were speaking to each other, you couldn't get through if you were also on Signal. <laughs> and I would find that every time... I couldn't get in touch with either of them. They were on signal with each other, coordinating both before and after. Did you know they were coordinating at the time? I didn't understand that they were coordinating. I thought, he's just as interested in this issue as I am. Did Josh share all the weird shit we discovered and talked about today? Um, I don't think so. He told me he talked to you briefly. And at the same time, everybody, of course, reacted to the article who'd been out there and everybody had touched base with me. So I'm like, why did these specific people reach out? And then, you know, so for Josh and Cindy, this is like, yeah, you should never should have trusted the young Turks, you know, and they're starting to put that bug in my head. 
They've literally ripped families apart and hurt people. That's disgusting to me. And the fact that TYT helped them do it makes me feel sick. I don't know how they can sleep at night. Now I'm like... Now more... Think about what this did to your marriage. Think about what this did to your mind. And of course, you know, you just had a mass shooting near D.C. where a member of Congress was shot. And, you know, because of my experience with Dave, who was an old screenwriting friend that wrecked my career, I was acutely aware of what I believed was a plan to take down the government of the United States. And I, I was super, super triggered. So everybody starts reaching out to me again. And when you say everyone, it's the people that you are at Standing Rock with? As well as like Nora Maccabee, who pulled me into Standing Rock and talked a lot about Ascended Masters. Nora flies out to L.A. during this time with her husband. And I'm like explaining all this craziness to them. And of course, she's jacking me up on more craziness. And Nora was constantly saying like she's been targeted that people have come and they stalk them when they're outside, just do weird stuff. And we should say that the producers of this podcast spent a fair amount of time with Nora in the early summer of 2017. At that time, she made similar claims to them, and Nora still maintains she was targeted in the same operation as Wes. In addition to that, there is evidence to suggest Nora had been targeted in some way. During this period, her name was injected into the disproven and obviously false conspiracy theory Pizzagate, which was sort of pre-QAnon and pushed by many of the same people. In a previous episode, we heard Nora talking to Robert David Steele, a former CIA officer and conspiracy pusher. Steele had heavily promoted Pizzagate. When Steele was asked about the inclusion of Nora's name in the conspiracy theory, he claimed she was collateral damage. And her husband was like a, I guess, ex-army major. He's the guy who wrote the report to the FBI saying it was a dangerous religious extremist. And we should note that Todd claims he didn't reach out to law enforcement. He just reached out to your father. Well, I was told law enforcement. Don't know what to say. And then her husband, of course, was telling me that aliens are real. I'd reached this point of view where I don't know who anyone is. I don't know if they're crazy if they're an agent if they're with the oil company the russians like with the cia and you don't know you can't tell anyone's perspective because everybody's talking the same kind of you know gobbledygook in different levels whether it's new age or mount shasta or ascended masters or whatever they're spouting off on and so you don't know who's crazy who's got a personality disorder who wants attention who's a russian agent or a mercenary. I just couldn't tell. And I hear from Travis, I was like full Enoch, like, because essentially the way I looked at it was the Trumpists and the grifting churches are going to try and pull off some kind of fake rapture to get all their followers fired up to murder people. And I was like, but here's the thing, but I'm the real thing. I'm the witness. So what they think is a fake rapture is going to turn out to be the real thing. And guys like Eric Prince and the rest of them are just going to have to suffer the consequences when that happens. And he was like, I went to high school with Eric Prince. And I was like, what? And it just, it made me 10 times more paranoid than I'd already been when I heard that. That they were in the same high school. And I thought, this guy 
whose body's covered in a tattoo that all turns into a question mark in his chest, who also had the fake IED, who would not allow me to pay him back $300 electronically, who got arrested and then, of course, got let off with no charges filed, and then went to Flint and wanted me to go to Flint. And what are the odds that that guy went to high school with Eric Prince and doesn't keep in touch with him? And isn't somehow part of this thing that is going on around me. What did that make you think that he's lying about? It made me think. It made me think. Well, it it made me think he was an infiltrator. That he was there to get me to uh, get my fingerprints on a fake bomb to set me up for crimes. Or then once the whole thing had fallen apart to then use a connection to me for some kind of legitimacy. Like say, oh, gee, I'm a real, I'm an, you know, OG water protector. You know, I knew I used to hang out west or whatever, which is all bullshit. I didn't know anything that I was doing at the time. Travis did not respond to producer outrage. You know, this is in June 2017 as well, when there's a potential war brewing between Saudi Arabia and Qatar. And this guy that I'd met on the night of Hillary's, quote, victory party in November, Andy Kawaja was calling my dad from Gutter and saying that essentially the Saudis were extorting the Qataris to take care of Jared Kushner's building in New York. A few days later, you'd see an article in the New York Times or the Washington Post that would confirm it. It's like living in bizarre world. So superimposed, knowing that is going on. And at this point, I'm talking to Josh and Cindy like 10 or 11 hours a day. And then he wants to come down and get me involved in this Kathleen Bennett thing. Kathleen Bennett's supposedly this old lady who is essentially kidnapped by some tribal group. And then it had something to do with them knowing who infiltrators were. Every, by this time, my brain isn't functioning again because I'm in like panic mode. And was she at Standing Rock? I never met her. But she, Josh and his girlfriend, Ren, had pictures of them together. I see. So these two people were the only people that believed you about yeah. the infiltrators. And then they also tell you about this story. Yes. And get you passionately involved. Correct. Okay. Oh, God. I feel terrible for this woman. Um, yeah, I really hope we get her out of jail quickly. He's like, oh, we need to get the Young Turks on this story. I'm like, Yeah. But did they just tell you not to trust the Young Turks? Yeah, but they wanted attention for the story. Okay. I'm fucking, now I'm, now I'm just fucking convinced Jenk is somehow part of this. My, my feeling about this is that we will find out, depending on how they react over at TYT, to Kathleen Bennett's story. It seems to be the litmus test for everybody. Yeah. So they start doing the free Kathleen Bennett hashtags. Like, you know tweeting them at me and stuff like that. And then as I'm driving my kids to school, I see, you know, hashtag free Kathleen Bennett, like on the side of the freeway where I'm driving. And my wife sees it as well on her way to work. I'm like, oh, dude, well, yeah, I better do something about Kathleen Bennett. I found out three years later when I did an image search for where these spray painted graffitied hashtag free Kathleen Bennett's existed, literally only two places and one was on my way to work and one was on my wife's route to work. Josh would always be like, oh, I'm like this, this anonymous guy. And I think he knew the route my wife and I took to work and they put those hashtags and graffitied up 
on the route to work where I would see it. To make you think. To make me think, this is a big thing. This is all part of it. Like when you go back and you you look at the way the country was mind-fucked by the whole Trump administration and campaign, remember like his first campaign event was like paid extras, background to stand around and make it look like there's a crowd, that there's a groundswell. And so you want to create the illusion that something is big in order to push somebody to do what you want. And that included everything from her doing broadcasts where she's being chased on the highway after attending a court hearing for Kathleen to they're being followed to, you know, they broke into the house. It was like neuro-linguistic programming. Because every time I spoke to Josh, he'd say, this is the granddaughter of a survivor of the massacre at Pine Ridge or when the 7th Cavalry murdered, like she's a descendant of those survivors. It was mentioned like every six paragraphs when I was talking with him. What? So this, this, this grandmother is actually, her grandma survived the massacre of I was like, why does he keep mentioning that to me? And when he came down, he was like, you'll know when they're out to get you because a helicopter will go right over your house. You'll get the black helicopter treatment. It's the black helicopter treatment. It's, you know, stuff from the 90s where people believed in black helicopters and UN takeovers and secret meanings of dots on the back of road signs. But he kept saying, you know, they'll like when you're targeted, they'll put a helicopter over your house to make you more paranoid and to scare you. Did this Enoch feeling change your relationship with your wife and kids? A hundred percent. I mean, the kids, not so much, because when I was getting really crazy, I didn't have them. But Cindy and Josh were feeding into me saying, maybe you should question your wife. Your wife is always trying to stop you from investigating Kathleen Bennett. Your wife is always trying to stop you from getting involved with Standing Rock or listening to God or whatever. Thanks, Cindy. There's still that tiny 2% part of me that totally believes my wife is not who she says she is. I know, no, but you understand, it's like, it's like, okay. And so they were trying to encourage, like, my wife was the real plan. Because, of course, my wife was horrified at all the crazy shit I'd been saying for six or seven months and all the fucking weird people that came around. On the one hand, she was incredibly patient with me. But on the other, she was definitely always trying to put a stop to anything I may do Again, with Standing Rock or any of the kind of spiritual people or anyone else that came by. I don't know that his level of paranoia matches what's actually happening. Well, here's the thing. You have to understand that what I've seen, and, and I've seen this as a pattern happening not just to Wes, but to a lot of other people that have been leaking information to me. It's- but I, I don't think it should come to the point where you're see someone on the corner and think that they're trying to kill you and afraid to come into your own house because you're afraid someone's in there trying to kill you. And that's kind of where it is right now. I I mean, Saturday, he broke down and cried because, you know, he was scared of being alone. He was scared of being out there. And um... everything that I have been uncovering has made me feel at times the same way. So, you know, getting into that June, then I was starting to go over the super paranoid deep end. Like a couple people had showed up at my house uh, in the previous week or two. Like one guy was this vet. 
who tells me his sister is somehow in the communications office at the White House. He's like, I could sneak a bomb into the White House. I'm like, I really trust me. That is not the way to, you know, enact change in the United States. And then he's like, we got any money? I need some gas money to get to San Diego. I'm like, here's 20 bucks. Good luck. See you later. And once that guy left my house, I'd gotten in touch with Nora. I'm like, I need to know who you guys report stuff to at the FBI. And she gave me a name for a contractor in the FBI who had an FBI email address that I told her, like, this is what's happening to me. And I think the people around me are, a lot of them are infiltrators for security companies. And it feels dangerous. Like it's part of a long-term plan. And I told her I thought there was going to be like a Islamic terror attack, like in Flint, Michigan on the 21st. And Cindy recorded me as well at that time. I think there's going to be a major terrorist attack on Wednesday, the 21st. Really? Yeah. Do you have any idea where? Nope. Well, I mean, I think it'll be in either Flint or on the pipeline. Why a terrorist attack on the 21st? Some people... I knew from out there, their profile said they'd never lived in Michigan. But if you looked outside of Facebook, that's like the only place they'd ever lived. And so you saw a lot of like recently constructed profiles. And I was trying to connect them. And some of those profiles would follow groups like, you know, Sons of Odin and stuff like that. And I kept seeing the number 21 everywhere in transformation. And at the same time, I'm still talking to Jim Channon, the... First Earth Battalion guy, psychic soldiers guru from Hawaii, who's like, yeah, man, yeah, tell me about those visions. Tell me what you're seeing. And on the 21st, two days after I told him, boom, there it was on the Drudge Report, terror attack in Flint, Michigan. It was the first Islamic terror attack under the Trump administration. Terror in our own backyard. A Michigan police officer is in the hospital this morning after getting stabbed at the Flint Airport officer investigators say during the attack, the suspect referenced the Middle East and then he yelled, God is great in Arabic. The FBI says they are investigating this as an act of terrorism. But it was only a headline for about 30 minutes because apparently it was an ISIS supporter who stabbed somebody at the Flint airport. And I don't think anyone died and the person was subdued. So not that big a deal, but it really set me off immeasurably. Because I was like, how could I know two days before something would happen? Let's pick it back up there next week. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with more American PSYOP. American PSYOP is a Bunker Crew media production in collaboration with Midas Touch. It was edited and directed by Jack Bryan. Our producers are Stacey Scher, Marley Clements, and Jack Bryan. Executive producers are... Ben Mysalis and Grant D. Simone. Sound design by Joy Ellett. I'm your co-host, Emily Bix. Please join us again next time. <laughs>